Rather than going through an entire chapter, let's spend just a few minutes together going through verses one through, maybe we'll stop around verse six. The Bible says, woe to those who devise wickedness, who work out evil on their beds. When the light of the morning comes, they do it, for it is in the power of their hands. And they covet fields and then tear them away, and houses and take them away, and they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, behold, I am devising against this family an evil demise from which you cannot remove your necks, and you will not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. On that day, they will take up against you a taunt and utter a bitter wailing and say, We're completely devastated. He exchanges the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To the faithless one, he apportions our fields. Therefore, you will have no one stretching a measuring line for you by lot in the assembly of Yahweh. I think verse 5 is a great spot to stop and pause and really see what God is saying and what's actually happening in this chapter. We first of all see in verse number 1, woe to those who devise wickedness. This is a, a planning thing. They're devising it. All sin is evil in the sight of God. God hates it all. But God especially is calling out here in his message to the southern kingdom of Judah by way of the prophet Micah that he hates the sin that is planned in advance. God despises that and he says, whoa, there's bad things coming to the people who are planning to work evil on their beds. When the light of the morning comes, they do it. And again, we talked about this in chapter one, how that Micah is a words craftsman and often speaks in chapter one through puns. And this is sort of one of those as well, because when the morning light comes, that's when the kings would exercise judgment. When the morning light comes, that's when the courts open in a, a, a picture of light uh dispelling darkness and righteousness coming as the rising sun. Evil um, may come in the nighttime, like the a thief in the night you read as a picture in the New Testament. But when the day breaks, evil must be broken too. But not here in Micah chapter 2, when the light of the morning comes, they do it. They are premeditating sin and then they're doing it because they have the power to do it. We read that in verse number two. It's in the power of their hands. And when I stop and consider sin, not your sin, not their sin, I'm pausing to think about mine for a second. There are many things on the sins list that I've never done because I don't have the ability to do them. The opportunity has never presented itself. So there's no pride to be taken in the list of things that I've never done because I didn't have the chance. The real test here of our obedience to God is what do you do when you have the power to do what you want? Are you still committed to righteousness to following the law of God, committed to a 
a relationship with God that is in right standing when you have the opportunity to do something outside of the boundaries that God has laid out and detailed through his word. What do you do then? That's a really serious thing for us to stop and consider. Like, am I not doing this because, um, well, I'd get caught. But if there were the chance for me to not be caught and for me to do this and it go unseen by any man ever, and that were a guarantee, am I not doing that because I'd get caught or am I not doing that because I want to be in a right standing with God? That's an important question for us to consider right here. What is it that they're premeditating to do in the context of Micah chapter two? They uh, covet fields and then tear them away. There's covetousness. And a lot of times we assume that covetousness is just a, a thought like, oh, I, I want that and I don't have it. And truly that is an accurate definition of covetousness, but there's more to it. Uh, to covet can also be an active thing. Like I want that and I'm going to go get it. They covet fields and then tear them away and houses and take them away. Do you see what's happening here? They are coveting. They are stealing. Why? Because they have the power to do it. Look at what else evil is doing right here. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. This is one of the overarching themes through Micah's book here. He is a champion of the poor. He's a prophet of the poor. He is a champion of the uh, Israelite middle class, if you will. Because a lot of times when you get into a larger city context, um, oppression is not as noticeable or maybe not as uh, talked about or readily seen and discovered. But when oppression is taking place, it's most readily felt and seen in a smaller, more rural context. Uh, for example, um, oppression through uh, taxes, and I'm not saying all taxes are oppression, but I'm saying that when a corrupt government is in power, uh, people in a larger city may not like it, but there are more in the city context who are unaffected or unbothered or who scruff it off as this is just a thing. This is what we do now. But it's the people in the small towns, in the small communities, in the middle class who feel the weight of that. And that's been true in every culture, including our own. And so Micah is saying, look, God is coming to bring judgment on the people who are planning to do evil because they have the power to do evil. And it's being done in broad daylight, and God will not allow that to go unpunished. So if you look at a distressed people, and the people in Micah 2 are very distressed, um, it's because distressed people are being led by corrupt leaders. Uh, leaders who are bringing down bad things upon the people underneath them do so because they do not have a connection with God. They are not in a right standing in their relationship with God. And truly, we can see that even in our own government. If you're watching this in the United States of America, we've seen leaders who 
had a right standing with God or were at least pursuing one. And so they sought to remove oppression. They sought to uh, remove affliction. They spent their evenings planning, what can we do right tomorrow? Whereas we've seen other leaders, including the one that we presently have in the year 2022, as I'm recording this video, who plan what they can do evil. And as a result, the middle class is afflicted and the poor people are afflicted and oppression continues to grow, even as those leaders claim that they're seeking to remove it, what they're actually doing is emburdening people even further with it. God says, this won't go unpunished. Look at this. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, behold, I am devising against this family an evil demise. So here is God's judgment and God's righteousness on display. What these evil leaders have done to others, uh, God is going to return to them. It's a, if you do this, I'll do this type of a thing. And we see messages like that often through the Old Testament. Um, so Micah is, is is preaching years before, maybe 16 to 25 years before there'll ever be a response and certainly decades before the judgment would actually come. But he's prophesying that the northern kingdom of Israel is going to fall, and they did. And he's prophesying that if the southern kingdom of Judah doesn't turn and repent and seek to have a right standing with God and their neighbor, that the same judgment that will come upon the northern kingdom will also come upon the southern kingdom. This is the message that he is championing. And so the verse continues on, from which you cannot remove your necks. Uh, your neck is on the line here. And I want to challenge you you to stop and consider where's your neck at uh, sometimes we stick our neck out in pride we find that picture from old testament to new a a raised neck that god cannot bless we we raise our necks up in in haughtiness and in arrogance and in pride and god says the judgment that i'll bring on that it's not something you can remove your neck from. It's not something that you can shrink back uh, away from or hide or lower your neck in shame. And then uh, in that repentance, find relief. No, the judgment that I'm bringing, you cannot remove your necks from. They will go out in the same pride that they went into the situation with. Look at this, Micah chapter two, verse number three, you will not walk haughtily for it will be an evil time. You're going to look at the judgment that is coming and everything will feel as evil. God has a way of allowing evil to serve uh, his purposes as a judgment upon the evil that has run from God. And so we get what we sow. We reap what we sow. That which we uh, put out, God has a way of allowing it to be returned to us. And so the judgment continues on. On that day, they will take up a taunt. They will take up against you a taunt. God's saying that the enemies of Israel are going to laugh at them. And in the coming years, that's definitely what happens when this kingdom falls to the Assyrians. They'll take up a taunt. And, and you, you're going to utter a bitter wailing and say, we're completely devastated. He... And, 
this he is speaking of God. He exchanges the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. You see, these people were casting lots. Um, they're, they're gambling over property, property lines that belonged as an inheritance to those whom God had assigned it. God is not with them in that. And they're saying, now God's taking it away from me. Y yes, in the same way that you took it away from other people. Uh, he exchanges the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To the faithless one, he apportions our fields. See, this is important. Don't miss this. Scripture begins in the book of Genesis 1-1 with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's an important foundation. If you misinterpret Genesis 1, you will struggle and misinterpret uh, every other scripture that follows. In the beginning, God created the earth. He created it. And since God created it, he decides who gets it. And so in Genesis chapter 11 and 12, we find God giving a piece of land to a man named Abram, later to be called Abraham. God gave that to him. It belongs to him, and it belongs to his offspring forever. And so when we look even today at people who are fighting over property saying, well, this belongs to um, Palestinians, and this belongs to uh Iran, and this belongs to Iraq, and this is Afghanistan's, and this is Egypt's, and this is, and they're, they're laying claim on property. Know this, God's judgment is coming upon that because there is a boundary. There is a border. There is a piece of land called Israel that God gave to one group of people forever, never to be taken from them. And though they've been removed from their land and returned and removed and returned, God always brings them back because he always keeps his promises. God created the earth. God apportions the earth. And if you go against what God has apportioned, you are appointed for judgment. And that's what's coming here. God says, you have rejected my law. You have walked away from my principles and, and now... And, and now, well, judgment's coming, and I'm going to reassign your land for a time. God's going to ultimately keep his promise, and the message of hope is going to begin to surface throughout Micah's letter. But right here, we're seeing that those who unjustly took it will have it unjustly taken from them. I love the book of Micah. I love how Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah, and uh, they're preaching in different contexts. Isaiah's ministry is more in the palaces um, and to the leaders of Jerusalem, where Micah is preaching in Jerusalem, but he's also championing a more uh, rural um, community as well. And so Micah's name is so interesting, and it really plays into what his book is about. Micah is a, a shortened name for uh, Micaiah or Micaiah, and that name means, who is like Yahweh? It's a question. And Micah will go on to answer that question, starting in chapter 1, concluding at the end of his book, he's going to explain to us who Yahweh is and what he is like. So, uh, while Micah is preaching in the southern kingdom. Isaiah is also preaching for a time of overlap in the southern kingdom. There's prophets like Amos and Hosea who are preaching and prophesying in the northern kingdom. And what makes all of this so unique is that the economy is booming. 
The economy is exploding. Um, there's peace in the land presently. And while the economy is booming and there's peace in the land, evil is growing and festering and people are turning away from God. All of this has to do with God gave his people a covenant to keep. He gave them a Mosaic law, some commandments. This is what you do in order to honor me. And if you do this, I'll give to you uh, both eternal and temporal earthly blessing. But as Israel, both north and south, rejects what God has promised, God takes away what he had promised in exchange for their obedience. And so who is like Yahweh? What is Yahweh like? Well, God is merciful and God is gracious and God is loving and God is kind and he is equally just as he is all of those things. For were he not just, how could we truly define love and grace and most especially mercy. God is the only being in all of the universe and all of creation of which he's created that is capable of being all of those things equally balanced at the exact same moment. And while the economy is booming and peace is in the land, spiritual depravity is at an all-time high. And God says it falls on the leaders and now the people are following and I'm going to do something to bring my people to repentance. And that's what's coming in the next few chapters. So friend, some follow-up questions for you and I today are this, um, what do we do when we think we have the power because it's culturally acceptable or we won't get caught? That's really the test of where's our relationship at with the Lord. It's the litmus test. Am I not doing that because I don't want to get caught or am I avoiding that because God says don't? Because when God says don't, what he's actually saying, as a friend of mine says, is don't hurt yourself. And when I do this, am I doing this because it honors God? Or am I doing this thing because the culture says that it's now acceptable and it's okay? Just because there's economic prosperity in your life now, just because there's no trouble in your life now, just because the culture that is around you says that that is okay right now, doesn't mean that it's okay with God. And that's the question we must wrestle with today as we look at God's coming judgment on those who refuse to fully follow him. This is Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and we'll pick up soon with verse